Welcome to Cookbook, where I, Rosemary Cottle, go through my whole cookbook collection, one book at a time. Today's book is going to be Tastes of Liberty. Tastes of Liberty. I'm not going to call it that, but yeah, Tastes of Liberty. Just like last week's book, the front and back covers of the book are very scant, very minimalistic. But this one, even more so, because what we're getting is a red, like a red cover, solid red in the background. And then it has the title of the book, Tastes of Liberty. And then it has like a little silver picture square that has the, the Statue of Liberty painted in this shiny silver paint. And below that, it says, Liberty Centennial, and it says 1886 and 1986. Even though it says 1986, this book has actually been published in 1985. Now, let's get on to the book itself, because the back cover is just red. It's blank. It's a hardback book. And let's just get into it. The Elongated title of the book is called Tastes of Liberty, a Celebration of Our Great Ethnic Cooking. But I decided to shorten it to Tastes of Liberty just to make things easier. And that's also going to be the title of the episode if you haven't seen the title already. And copyright is 1985 from Chateau de Michel. We'll know more information about Chateau de Michel in a minute, but just keep them in mind. And now we are on the introduction of the book, which I have written notes for. I basically paraphrased what the intro is about. The first part of the introduction is the dedication. Here we go. Chateau de Michel is a winery that is located in Woodenville, Washington. They are known for their award-winning wines. Their wine ranges in price from $16 to over $100, depending on the type of wine. And they are still around today. They have their own website where you can order their wine not sponsored by them, but if you are a wine snob, or if you like wine, you can check that out. Just look up Chatas de Michel, and first thing you see is like where the winery is located, and I think below that is their website. But that is not why we're talking about them. Because in this book, this book is dedicated to the cuisine that was being done by immigrants that moved to America to live the American dream, you know. This was like way back when, like 1800s, 1900s. So, Chateau Stem Show is a founding sponsor of the Statue of Liberty Ellis Island Foundation, and Ellis Island was one of the immigration stations 
that immigrants will go to to get processed into the U.S. when they immigrated. And that is in New York. All right. What's it say? Chateau de Michel is a the first sponsor to direct efforts to the restoration of Ellis Island. And immigration at its peak at Ellis Island ran from the 1890s to the 1920s. That's That was the peak of immigration into Ellis Island. So after all of that happens, the island has been abandoned in the 50s. And as the years went on, the, and the years went on, the weather, vandals, and pollution basically eroded the buildings on the island. And the walls and ceilings were falling down. And let's just say that Ellis Island wasn't looking so hot in the 50s. Like Marilyn Monroe? Oh yeah. Hot in the 50s. Ellis Island, on the other hand, uh, our girl needs some work. <laughs> she needs some work. <laughs> As the island deteriorates, the Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island Foundation, and the National Park Service decided to work together to bring this American landmark back to its former glory. And they planned a renovation to preserve the landmark. And then on the dedication, there's a factoid that says that nearly half of Americans today had relatives that passed through Ellis Island to find a better life in the U.S. And Chateau de Michel, like I said, is a winery. And that's basically what the dedication says, in summary. And now let's get into the preface, or preface, however you pronounce it. I say preface, so I'm going to say preface. And this just basically is some historical facts and the introduction of the book, like the meat of the introduction. So, in summary, the British colonized America, and while colonization was in full swing, the natives tried to introduce the British to their culture as well. But the British were reluctant on that, but they accepted the natives' offers but have been used to and accustomed to their way of living, specifically on the culinary side of things with their food. And the British didn't really have a hard time with assimilating into American culture, because American culture was made by them, pretty much. Because, as we know, the British colonized the Native Americans, made them assimilate to their way of life, and basically, the British basically shaped what America is today, pretty much. Like, speaking English and being proper and all of that. Making the natives get into Christianity and, and other cultures that have moved into America later on during the peak immigration era to Ellis Island weren't so lucky. Like, the British... They are pretty much assimilated into America. They like they know. They they know the way of life because they shaped it. <laughs> and the other cultures who immigrated to America, they seemed to have a harder time maintaining their cultures because, like I said, they had to assimilate to the American life out of necessity and for survival. But 
With these changes, one thing seemed to bring them back home. One thing, one part of their culture seemed to be king. It seemed to be the part of life that people can't control. And that's their food, their cuisine from their motherlands. And the immigrants struggled with the language, but the food spoke loud and clear to the American people that were born and raised in America. And with that, the more tastes expanded, you get more imports and exports of more exotic goods. And and these items were brought to America, and these cultures combined to make the melting pot that America is known as being today. And this cookbook focuses on these well-loved meals that survived from the peak days of immigration to America. So that is basically what the preface is trying to say in this book. Now we turn the page and we get on to the table of contents. So here are the types of cuisine that you would expect in Tastes of Liberty. You've got your Italian cuisine, your German cuisine, Grecian cuisine or Greece, Great Britain, Eastern Europe, Iberia, Jewish cuisine, Scandinavian cuisine, and French cuisine. And also, you got other parts of the table of contents where you have your credits, your bibliography, and, of course, your index. Now, we are on to the chapter layouts. On the first chapter, for example, Italy, like every chapter has this. It has a yellow background, it'll have the country's name, and it has the recipes that are listed in the book on that particular country. So for Italy, they have a luncheon menu, and they have a few dishes like caponata. They have also buco. They have parmigiano reggiano and grapes and espresso, etc., etc. And not only do they have um, a list of all the recipes on the chapter, they also have wine pairings listed that pairs well with that cuisine. And Chateaus de Michel pretty much helped with the publication of this book. And since they're a wine company, I, it is in their best interest to add this into the book. So the recommended wines, for example, for Italy, that they recommend for this type of cuisine are Similan, Chardonnay, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And I don't know if I pronounced those right, but I'm going to say close enough. And then it has history of the country itself, told what the Italian, what, what it was like, for example, for the Italians when assimilating in America and their cuisines. And that's basically the layout of every chapter. The same thing. It's all of the recipes listed for each chapter and the wine pairings that go well with that particular cuisine. So, with that out of the way, 
We now have the recipe highlights. It's time for the recipe highlights. And remember, recipe highlights are the recipes that I find interesting in the book that I want to try, or I just find it pretty interesting. So let's get on to the recipe highlights. We'll be right back. All right, now we're on the recipe highlights, and the first recipe that I want to highlight is the risotto a la Milanese on page 25. And I asked on Google if that's how it's pronounced, but according to Google, I am pronouncing it right. Yay. <laughs> so this is how to make the risotto a la Milanese which is basically Milan-style rice. That's basically how it's loosely translated. And it makes eight servings. So what you'll need are one pound of fresh asparagus, salt, four and a half cups of rich homemade chicken broth, one cup of chopped onion, four tablespoons of unsalted butter, one pound of raw Italian arborio rice, one cup of dry white wine, an eighth teaspoon of powdered saffron, and I'm sure the saffron is going to be optional unless you're really, you're really wanting to fork out a bunch of money for it. You know what? Uh, it's optional. <laughs> Eighth teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper. I can't seem to say that word. Appetizer moment. Freshly. 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 It it always comes out as fleshly or freshly. I can't win sometimes with words. I can't. I can't. I'm an English speaker. Okay, back to the main course. Freshly ground black pepper. You'll need an eighth teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper and a third cup of freshly grated Parmesan cheese. And to serve, you'll need freshly grated Parmesan cheese. Now it is instruction time. Wash asparagus and snap off tough ends. Cook in boiling salted water until crisp tender. Drain. Cut into half-inch lengths and set aside. Heat broth in two-quart saucepan over medium-high heat to a simmer and hold. Saute onion in two tablespoons of the butter in large skillet over medium heat until soft. This will take about five minutes. Stir in rice and cook. Stir for three minutes. Stir in the wine and cook until wine evaporates, which would take about three minutes. I see a trend here. Dissolve saffron in about two tablespoons of the warm broth. Set aside. Gradually stir remaining broth into rice mixture. 
Stir in saffron mixture and pepper. Continue cooking uncovered until rice is tender but al dente. And this will take about 15 to 20 minutes. Stir in asparagus during last five minutes of cooking. Remove from heat and stir in remaining two tablespoons of butter and a third cup of cheese. Transfer to heated serving bowl. Serve hot with additional cheese on the side. So that is how you make rice Milan style. Honestly, appetizer moment, like the saffron. I can't get over the saffron. I get it. I get that saffron is a great flavor, I'm sure, but it's expensive as heck. If, if anyone could find me a proper substitution for saffron, I'll be golden. For real. Like a teensy bit of saffron. I heard goes for about a hundred dollars. Uh-uh. Ain't gonna happen with my cheapskate butt. Nuh-uh. No. As much as I love food, like, as Meatloaf says, I will do anything for food. I will do anything for food. I will do anything for food, but I won't do that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I I, I don't want to pay that much for good food, okay? Like, I grew up with struggle meals. I grew up with delicious, delicious food on the cheap. I mean, sure, if I, if I were richer, then yeah, I would put some saffron in there. But not now. Not now. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Back to the main course. See, aren't tangents fun sometimes? All right. The next highlight recipe is cannelloni on page 33. 33. I found it. Meat stuffed pasta. Honestly, meat stuffed pasta. I'm not much of a meat fan, but I think I could make an exception for this. Maybe. Alrighty, Rue. Let's get on to it. So what you'll need for this cannelloni are pasta dough. And they do have a recipe for some of these. But I'm sure you can use your own pasta dough. You also need tomato sauce, which they also have a recipe for in this book. Actually, yeah, they do have, yeah, they do have the pasta dough and, yeah, tomato sauce and bechamel sauce recipe within it. Within the recipe. So that's pretty handy. <laughs> See, I just looked down at it and I was like, oh, there it is. All right, let's start the list all over, shall we? I have lost focus. I had an appetizer moment without knowing I had an appetizer moment. That happens to me a lot, too. Sorry about that. So what you'll need are pasta dough, tomato sauce, and bechamel sauce. Okay, now appetizer moment. Oh, girl. Bechamel sauce, honey. Like... 
those are two beautiful words that I haven't had in a while. One best believe when when I get better at cooking, you best believe I'm gonna make a bechamel sauce. That is fancy. Fancy. To me it's fancy. Maybe to you it's like peasant. <laughs> anyway. Back to the main course. Three tablespoons of finely chopped onion. One clove of garlic finely chopped. One tablespoon of olive oil. Half pound of lean ground beef. A fourth cup of dry red wine. One cup of fresh ricotta cheese. A three-fourth cup of freshly grated Parmesan cheese. A fourth cup of freshly grated Romano cheese. Two ounces of mortadella, chopped. Okay, according to Wikipedia, mortadella is a large Italian sausage or luncheon meat made of finely hashed or ground heat-cured pork. And it has small cubes of pork fat and is traditionally flavored with black pepper grains. Modern versions contain pistachios or, more rarely, myrtle berries. And I'm looking at this and it looks like straight puke, but I'm sure it probably tastes delicious. Like, she may look ugly, but she has a personality. That's how I describe this meat that I am seeing on my phone right now. Anyway, that's mortadella, and you'll need two ounces of that chopped for this recipe. One egg, one tablespoon of tomato paste, half teaspoon of dried oregano crumbled, fourth teaspoon of fresh ground black pepper, eighth teaspoon of ground nutmeg, two teaspoons of salt, and a half cup of shredded mozzarella cheese. All right, it is. Instruction time, my dudes. I am loving this echo. I'm sorry. It really adds to things, you know. First, prepare the pasta dough. And this could be any pasta dough. It could be your pasta dough or the pasta dough that I'm going to reveal in this book. Tomato sauce and bechamel sauce and set all aside. And yes, they have recipes for all three of these. But you can also make your own. Saute onion and garlic and oil in large skillet over medium heat until onion is soft. This process takes about three minutes. Add ground beef and wine and cook, breaking up meat with a fork until meat is cut through, but not brown. This takes about five minutes. Remove the meat from skillet with slotted spoon and place in medium bowl. Mix in ricotta, half cup of the parmesan, the romano, fourth cup of the bechamel sauce, mortadella, egg, tomato paste, oregano, pepper, and nutmeg, and set aside. Heat four quarts of water and salt to boiling a in five-quart Dutch oven over high heat. Roll out the pasta dough on lightly floured surface into 20 by 12 inch rectangle and cut into 
four by three inch rectangles. Cook four pieces at a time in the boiling water until almost done. And since this is homemade pasta, it would only take 30 to 45 seconds, which is what I love about homemade pasta, by the way. Just a little tangent. Remove from water immediately and drain on absorbent cloth towels, patting top surfaces dry with another towel. Coat bottom of greased 13 by 9 by 2 inch baking dish with fourth cup of tomato sauce. Spread each pasta strip with two tablespoons of meat mixture. Roll up and place in dish. Folded edge down. Spread remaining tomato sauce evenly over pasta. Then spread evenly with remaining bechamel sauce. Sprinkle with mozzarella and remaining fourth cup parmesan. Bake in preheated 400 degree Fahrenheit oven until golden. This will take about 20 to 25 minutes. Let's stand at room temperature for about 10 minutes before serving. And that's how you make cannelloni. I dig it. I dig this. And it's a fairly common recipe for Italian cookery. So let's see, let's see. We're gonna see how to make pasta dough. Because here's the thing. You could always make tomato sauce. You could always make bechamel sauce. But dough is important. Yes, this is going to be an appetizer moment. There's a lot of these in this episode. You thought there wasn't going to be any? Oh, girl, you're wrong. <laughs> anyway. To me, nothing is important in cookery as sauce and dough. See, with sauce, you can, like, slaver that stuff onto everything. With dough, you get a filling meal out of a few ingredients. And those ingredients are usually flour, egg, water. Bam. That could send you to any possibility you could think of. But with pasta dough, this is one of the most important things that you need to learn about in culinary school. Or in the culinary world in general. Like, when desperate times call for desperate measures, you can make homemade pasta dough. And in this book, it only takes three ingredients. In this case, they use one and a half cups of all-purpose flour, two large eggs, and two teaspoons of milk. So they use milk instead of water, but you could also use water for this. So what you do is, instruction time, by the way. What you do is, measure the flour into a mound on a large wooden board. Make well in the center and place eggs and milk and well and beat with a fork. You're basically using the flour as like a little bowl. Continue beating eggs in circular motion to incorporate flour. Gradually on to egg mixture, using one hand to support the flowers on sides of the well. 
When eggs are no longer runny, use fingers to continue mixing until all the flour is absorbed. Adding more flour if necessary to make a dough that is soft but not sticky. That's the important part. On lightly floured board, knead dough 8 to 10 minutes. Pat dough into flattened ball and cover with plastic wrap until ready to roll in shape. That's it. That's pasta dough. And to cook the pasta dough after you shape it, you just you cook it for 30 seconds to 2 minutes, depending on how chewy or tender you want your pasta to be. It's pretty simple. So, appetizer moment. I have made homemade pasta before. You will never be the same after trying homemade pasta. It is so good. It's so good. Like, I didn't look at box pasta the same way again after making my own homemade pasta. It is wonderful. Like, it's night and day, y'all. Mmm. Mmm. Well, anyway, now we're on the next recipe highlight. If you want to make the tomato and bechamel sauce, just look it up on the internet. All right. The next recipe highlight is kartoffelklossen. Now, these are potato dumplings, and it's a German dish. So, to make this kartoffelklossen, it makes four dozen, so you get like 48 dumplings out of that. I mean, that, that's not a bad deal. What you'll need are three teaspoons of salt, three pounds of potatoes pared and quartered, three eggs beaten, half cup of regular farina. Farina, according to Wikipedia, is the name given to a form of milled wheat in the U.S. It's a Latin word meaning meal or flour, and the Italian and Catalan word for the word flour. It is made from wheat middlings, the germ and endosperm of the grain, which are milled to a fine consistency and then sifted. And if you don't have this farina, a good substitute that MissVickle.com says that one good substitute for farina is oatmeal. So if you don't have farina, you can use oatmeal as a substitution. Okay, back to the main course. Alright, half cup of all-purpose flour. I forgot to add that you'll need a half cup of this farina or oatmeal, depending on what you have on hand. Half cup of all-purpose flour. Fourth teaspoon of freshly grated nutmeg. All-purpose flour, if needed. Four tablespoons of butter. One cup of fine, dry breadcrumbs. And... A fourth cup of chopped fresh parsley. Now it is instruction time. All right. Heat three quarts of water and one teaspoon of the salt in five quart Dutch oven over medium high heat. Add potatoes and cook until tender. This process would take about 15 to 20 minutes. Drain and 
put through potato ricer or food mill. Spread on platter or baking sheet to cool slightly. Beat together the eggs, farina, flour, one teaspoon of salt, and nutmeg in the large bowl and beat in potatoes. Shape potato mixture into balls using a level measuring tablespoonful of each. Place on baking sheet and cover loosely with plastic wrap. Heat three quarts of water and remaining one teaspoon of salt to boiling in five quart Dutch oven over medium high heat. Reduce heat to medium. Place a test dumpling in the water and simmer until firm and hot in the center. This will take about 10 to 12 minutes for this test dumpling. If dumpling falls apart during the first few minutes of cooking, stir additional two to four tablespoons of flour into the dough. Cook the dumplings about a dozen at a time. In boiling water until firm and hot in the center, but still smooth on the outside. This process takes about 10 to 12 minutes. Do not overcook or dumplings will fall apart. Remove the dumplings from water with slotted spoon and drain on paper towels. Transfer to heated serving platter. Cover with foil and keep warm in 225 degree oven while cooking remaining dumplings. Melt butter in large skillet over medium-high heat and stir in the breadcrumbs. Cook, stirring frequently until crumbs are golden, which would take four to five minutes. Spoon the crumbs over cut dumplings. Sprinkle with parsley. Serve hot. All right, so that's how you make kartoffelklossen. I probably said that wrong again. Kartoffelklossen. All right. So, the last recipe is on page 108, and the last recipe is called a trifle. So, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Now, I'm looking at the trifle right now, and it says on the caption, Topped with fresh raspberries and thick whipped cream, this magnificent trifle is served in a Jajorian crystal bowl. Now. Here's how to make this trifle. What you'll need is butter sponge cake, a fourth cup of apricot preserves, a fourth cup of raspberry preserves, a half cup of pale dry sherry, two to four tablespoons of brandy, cognac, vanilla custard, which they also have a recipe for, one to two cups of fresh raspberries, if available. Fourth cup of, of sliced blanched almonds, toasted. One cup of heavy cream, whipped. What you'll need for the butter sponge cake is a one cup of all-purpose flour, sifted. One teaspoon of baking powder. 4 teaspoon of salt, 3rd cup of milk, 4 tablespoons of butter, 2 eggs, 3 fourths cup of sugar, 1 teaspoon of grated lemon rind, 
and a teaspoon of vanilla extract. How to make the butter sponge cake. It's instruction time. Sift together flour, baking powder, and salt in small mixing bowl. Heat milk and butter in small saucepan over medium-low heat until butter melts. Do not allow the milk to boil. Remove from the heat. Beat eggs in small mixer bowl until thick and lemon-colored. About three minutes at high speed of electric mixer. Gradually beat in sugar and beat three to four minutes longer. Add flour mixture and heat just until smooth. Beat in milk mixture, lemon rind, and vanilla just until blended. Pour batter into greased and floured nine inch square baking pan. Bake in preheated 350 degree oven until cake tests done, which would take about 25 minutes. Cool the cake 10 minutes in pan on wire rack. Remove cake from pan and cool completely on the wire rack. Now, the recipe for the vanilla custard for the trifle. All right. What you'll need are one and a half cups of milk, one cup of heavy cream, three tablespoons of sugar, two teaspoons of cornstarch, three eggs, and one teaspoon of vanilla extract. All right, lock in because it's instruction time. Measure milk and cream into one and a half quart saucepan. Stir sugar and cornstarch together in small bowl until completely mixed. Blend into milk mixture. Cook over medium-low heat, stirring frequently until mixture thickens and boils. This will take about 15 minutes. Remove from the heat. Beat eggs in medium bowl until frothy. Whisk in about half a cup of hot milk mixture until blended. Stir egg mixture into milk mixture in saucepan. Bring to boil over medium heat, stirring constantly. Boil for one minute. Remove from the heat and stir in vanilla. Cover with plastic wrap directly over custard until ready to use. Now, to assemble the trifle. Lordy lord, this is a long recipe. I'm sorry, I am sorry, but trifle's hard work, y'all. All right, again, for the trifle, you'll need the butter sponge cake, a fourth cup of apricot preserves, a fourth cup of raspberry preserves, a half cup of pale dry sherry, two to four tablespoons of brandy or cognac, vanilla custard, one to two cups of fresh raspberries if available, fourth cup of sliced blanched almonds toasted, and one cup of heavy cream whipped. All right. 
to assemble the trifle. Lock in, y'all. Instruction time! All right. First, you prepare the butter sponge cake, which you already got the recipe for. Cool and cut in half horizontally. Spread one half evenly with apricot preserves and the other with raspberry preserves. Cut halves into strips one and a half inch wide and three inches long. Arrange half the strips preserve side up in alternate flavors. In two quart clear glass bowl, sprinkle with a fourth cup of sherry and half the brandy. Arrange remaining strips, preserve side up, on large plate and sprinkle with remaining sherry and brandy. Let stand for 30 minutes. Sprinkle half the raspberries and half the almonds over cake strips in glass bowl. Top with half of the vanilla custard. Repeat the layers with preserved strips, remaining raspberries, almonds, and custard. Garnish with whipped cream. Serve within 30 minutes. Refrigerate if not served immediately. And that's all. That's all of Tastes of Liberty. Next week's book is going to be Contemporary Cooking, Volume 9. Wooey! <laughs> I have spoke up a storm today, have I? <laughs> yes, I have. So, please, please, please spread the word about the podcast if you enjoyed this podcast. Or, if you know someone who enjoys the podcast, tell them to give me a listen. I'm sure I might entertain them. Who knows? Anyway, we are finally at the end of the road. Now, let's get on to the outro. Roll it! Want to show your cooking skills? Want me to look at what cookbooks interest you? Want to chat? Or you just want to be updated on the podcast? Search and follow the podcast on Facebook. It is called Cook Look Podcast. Or you can click the link on my Facebook page in the show notes. Or email me at cooklookpod at gmail.com. That is C-O-O-K-L-O-O-K-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter as Rosemary Coddle. My username is at CookLookPod. Also, I post episodes every single Friday at 6 Eastern. Thank you for listening. Bye!